Hello everyone, today with me I have a woman who has designed the costumes for the original productions of Sunday in the Park with George, Into the Woods, Beauty and the Beast, Prince of Egypt, and she has also worked on shows such as Fiddler on the Roof in Yiddish, the revival of the color purple, and most recently she can be seen having designed the works for The Secret Garden in LA with Sierra Bogus. I have Tony Award winning costume designer Anne Hold Ward. Hi, Anne. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Nice to see you. It's nice to see you as well. So my introduction to you was Into the Woods and Sunday in the Park with George, specifically the film, because Stonheim did that incredible thing where he filmed all the original Broadway casts of his show for most of the shows that he did. And I remember I was watching, I watched Into the Woods when I was in like middle school and I was, a, it was my first Sondheim show and I was obsessed. So I then so did a deep dive into his catalog. And then as I, once I decided to do, once I got to college, I was able, I started looking more into design stuff and I was getting more fascinated with design elements. And I was just, and I was just enamored by the designs in Sunday in the Park with George and in Into the Woods. And then I learned that you also did Beauty and the Beast. And I was like, oh, wow, she's clearly incredible. And when I started this podcast, I was like, I need her on the podcast. She was like one of the, you were like one of the first people I was like, I was like, I need Anne. I need to talk to her about what she's done and everything she's done. Because you're just incredible with what you do. Um, well, thank you. You're welcome. May I just correct you on one thing? What is uh, our beloved Steve is actually not the person responsible. I think we should we should know that in actuality, uh, those were filmed and used as you, you, well. The first one, Sunday, was filmed and used uh, by I believe like American Performances um, on PBS. Mm -hmm. uh, that was the filming of the first of Sunday, and then uh, and then. The initial, and I believe the initial, I believe it's through PBS that the initial uh, showings of Into the Woods was also in the American mm -hmm. Masters series or that kind of thing. Um, and, and I think it's important to really give them the credit for, mm -hmm. how, you know, in other words, those things actually then became available to people. You could get it on, um, on, on DVD, you know, these different methods of looking at it. Uh, and CDs, etc. But but initially they were you know they were filmed for uh, for a broadcast, and mm -hmm. we're very lucky that things like that were done because then people like you actually got the benefit of being able to see them. And it, it's quite remarkable how many people do talk about, especially into the woods. Um, you know, a kind of your generation of people and people younger than you. Uh, will speak to me nowadays about that that was either their first or one of their first uh, uh, viewings of what theater could be and then got them more interested in theater, etc. So I just want to be sure that we talk about yes. PBS and how important it really, and not that, not that they weren't filming it because of Steve and because of his incredible mm -hmm. work, but, the, but the, actually the credit for getting these things on tape so that they could go out uh, and it, it should should be given mm -hmm. to people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, of course. I, yeah. Um, so my first question for you is, when you're offered a show, what is the first thing you do? 
Well, I, I, I think you, you have to talk about how designers are offered shows. Well, offered and, or asked or like. Yeah, asked. Or, uh, I mean, but, but the process, I think most people don't understand how that comes about. Sometimes it comes about from a new relationship or maybe an author or a producer who knows you or knows your work and suggests it to a director. But um, I would say 90% of the time, these offers come from a director that you've either worked with before or that's very familiar with your work that you've done in a culmination with other directors. So you kind of begin to work with people. And I... I say that it's akin to dating or a marriage, you know, sometimes those relationships work and, and you're interested in being together and pursuing other work together, or they don't and you meander into other, uh, other relationships. So I think the first thing uh, I do is I, I, I want to see the script. I ask if I can see the script. I often ask, um, a, a director like what's his relationship what's his interest in the project um because actually we are part of that director's vision a major part and so just understanding what their instincts are and what their needs are uh, in relationship to the project starts to make a path for you of what what's probably your investigation of it. And I think it's very different for different directors at different periods in their career. Um, if you're working with someone who's been directing for 30, 40 years, they probably have over that time significantly uh, fostered a way they look at theater and their process and how they want to work with you. Whereas someone newer or in a new circumstance, I think I try to look at it from their viewpoint and say, like, what is it I can do to help facilitate their process? Um, and that's one of the things I'm most interested in now is, is just understanding, like, what is it that helps that director? And then what is it that helps that actor I'm in the fitting room with after that? Um, but I, I've been very lucky throughout my career. I, I've had a really eclectic, um, uh, you know, um, I, I've designed at the Met. I've done Broadway. I've designed around the world. I've, I've, I did Ringling Brothers, Barnum and Bailey. <laughs> it was a circus. Um, so I, I've done film. Uh, I've done so many different aspects of design and um, and I appreciate that I, I, I liked doing that um, because every one of those is a different experience of how you, how you work and how you operate so I mean I guess first of all I want to hear the excitement in the director or the lack of excitement I mean, what what is it that uh, what is it like what's driving them towards the project? What's driving them towards wanting to do this work? Um, and, and, and because that is what, that's what you as a designer are going to continue to experience. Um, and so I want to be sure that they know who I am and I know who they are. Mm -hmm. Um. Oh, then my question is when you're, when you are doing a show, 
is 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 there like a specific place you like to start in the design process like do you pick like a certain character or do you well i do a super lot of research i probably do more research than most people do <laughs> because i really enjoy the i really enjoy that process but the process of what that research is, is different with every project because every single, that's one of the things I love about being a designer is you're getting a different experience with every project. I mean, um, and Secret Garden was just the experience of really looking at, uh, at what the world was in India and what the world was in uh, the UK. Uh, in 1900, 1904, uh, looking at what that is, looking at, at what was the nature of this group of people, where they were living, how that life affected them, looking at them historical fashion and how that affected them also, or how they affected historical fashion. In other words, power is fashion and fashion is power. Um, uh, and and uh, right now I'm I'm uh, working on uh, Anna Devere Smith has a new play called Love All um, that's about Billie Jean King and and between Billie Jean King's life between 1955 and about the early 70s and the formation of the nine women who formed the Tennis Federation for Women and really are responsible for women being paid equally with men in the world of tennis. Um, and, uh, and, you know, it's a fascinating process of looking at what's going on in 1963, what's going on in 1968. And the way the piece is written, it really evolves also around what's happening historically at that time. So there's a tremendous amount of research of learning the, learning the life of the people that are involved, but then also what's happening historically around them. And I'd say the same thing is true about almost every project. And so I find that really an interesting part. And, a, and for me, that needs to be like a long process so that I'm sure I understand it really well when it comes to envisioning and understanding the project. And that means spend for me spending a lot of time with a script, but then dissecting it with the characters, but also historically dissecting it of what was happening at that time, so that I understand how these two things are marrying together to make a visual world. Um, and then, of course, you bring in a director and his own vision of that. So you're 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 bringing these pieces of the puzzle to the director, but then you're also putting in what he's telling you, how he's seeing it. And with every one of those pieces comes then how much money does the theater have? How many people, what's the staffing of the theater? What's the time limitations? Trying to take that all into account as a designer so that you come up with something as the product that's going to be doable within time many people situation um and and then you're putting the the rehearsal room into the process where you add actors and their dissection of each and every mm -hmm. piece you add not only their dissection but you also add in 
their body shapes, their sizes, their ability to move, et cetera, et cetera, that you're looking at as a designer. And in that room, you now have the director and the playwright, uh, if, if it's a living playwright and a playwright available to you, um, uh, or, or you might have a lyricist and a, and a, a composer in the room if it's a musical. And you're all now thinking about what you said you're going to put on and, and how it works within the piece. So you're in the process of changing that on kind of a, a living being, which is what I think that rehearsal room is. It's mm -hmm. a being that's coming into life before your eyes. And so therefore it requires the capacity to be able to change rapidly and, and breathe and work with it. So mm -hmm. those are the, that's kind of a synopsis of how I begin that process. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I just, I'm sorry. I'm always fascinated by every designer's process because it's always like similar, but it's also so different. Um, so in the, so in the beginning of your career, so you worked, you, so Patricia, I hope I said his name, last name, right? Ziprod it? No, Ziprod. Ziprod. Uh, Ziprod. Um, you literally wrote her a letter asking her for a job. Um, if I got my facts right. Um, my question is, what was your introduction to Patricia that you said, oh, I want to work with this woman? I was finishing my master's degree at the University of Virginia, and I wrote to three designers, uh, all of whom became very good friends. I wrote to Tony Walton, Theoni Aldridge, and Patricia Zipra. And Patricia wrote me back a short card that said, you know, let me think about it. Uh, and, um, and so I was I finished graduate school, and, uh, and I went to uh, I went to Paris for like a year and when I came back um, I was in Montana uh, with my little three-year-old son and I started trying to get a hold of Pat again and I, I it's in the time of answering machines and I, <laughs> I know what that is Pat's answering machine and on it was a message that said she was in Boston with a show called King of Hearts on the out of town. And it was a time when we used to, you know, people used to do out of towns of shows before they came in. Yeah. And so uh, I, I called the theater, the administration's office and over a number of calls, I got to this secretary was very kind to me. And she said, Hey, let me give you the box office number. Maybe, or excuse me, the backstage number, maybe that'll, mm -hmm. I think actually I go from the box office to the administration secretary. <laughs> he finally gives me the number of backstage phone. And it's in the day and age where by this, by the stage door guy would be a pay phone, you know, and everybody used that pay phone. And so I call that pay phone maybe like 30 times asking for power. And, and the stage door guy, he's very nice. Like, nah, she's not here. And then, one, one day, he says, oh, yeah, here she is. And she was walking the stage door, and she, he handed her the phone. And she said, where are you? I reminded her who I was and that she said she'd think about, could I come and be her intern? And she said, where are you? And I said, well, I'm in Montana um, with my family. And she said, well, that's so weird you're in Montana. My best friend lives in Montana. 
And through a very bizarre set of circumstances, it actually turns out that her best friend was married to a man that my grandfather uh, knew very, very well from, but they were both lawyers in the state of Mm -hmm. Montana. But at that time, she tells me her friend is in Montana and she's very intrigued I'm in Montana. And she says, well, just let me think about it. Let me get back to New York and see what my schedule is. And so after I get off the phone, she was so intrigued that I was in Montana. So I went downtown and I bought a cowboy hat and an air and I found this, I got this piece of deer hide and I wrote on this piece of deer hide during this zipper up, please, please, please let me come to New York. I will do anything. I will scrub your floors. Just let me come and learn. And I (laughs) threw the hat with the arrow and put it in a hat box and sent it off to her. And unbeknownst to me, they got, because I knew nothing. I knew nothing about Broadway. Uh, They got caught up in Boston on the out of town for like an extra month. And on the 30th day of that, she comes back and she sends someone to the post office to get her mail. And they bring back this hat. And in fact, it was the 30th day. The next day, it would have been sent back. And so she receives this. And about four or five days later, I get a very thick letter from her in Montana. And it says, Dear Annie, okay, okay, okay. (laughs) And then it proceeds to go on about the logistics of what she's working on. And she's doing... uh, uh, Queen of Hearts at the Met, I believe, was what, she, no, Manon Lascon at the Met that she was about to start on. And, um, and she, uh, uh, she, she, the last paragraph of that letter, which I really wish I still had, said, I want you to know I very carefully choose what I will work on. Um, and she goes on to talk about that process. Um, which I think is a, an interesting thing, difference between designers in Pat's generation and what I've seen in the theater, um, because I think uh, the amount of work that there is uh, doesn't, we almost all have to say yes to everything to be able to just continue to take care of our lives and maintain mm-hmm. our lives. Um, but so that was the process. I came to New York and of course the Menonas Kant was, was canceled at the Met. And so then she said to me, well, an old friend of hers who had been her assistant, Ben Benson, was then the head of Karinska, uh, which was the shop for New York City Ballet. And he was looking for an assistant because they were doing, uh, George Balanchine was directing Dido and Aeneas and uh, La Bougie Wajantium for uh, City Opera, which was in financial trouble and they were as Cindy City Opera was always in financial trouble and they um they wanted it was done as a benefit and Ben was looking for an assistant and so then I went there and started to work in New York that's the story that's just I would be like there are so many directors that I would like I would I don't know how you have the guts to just like send letters to three people saying can I have a job that's just incredible to me but I, 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 that's not what I did. I sent letters to three people saying, I will do anything so I can come and learn from you. Now, that's oh. a very thing that oh, asking yes. for a job, in my opinion. I yeah. never, uh, I would never have assumed that I was a, a fresh out of graduate school. And I never really used the word 
designer. I could never say I was a designer until after I had done Sunday in the Park with George. So I find that a very precious word. I find it the most precious word for me. Uh, one of the most precious words in the English language. So, um, so I, I, I find it, uh, I would never have assumed to ask someone for a job at that point in time. I asked them if I could come learn, mm -hmm. um, be their intern. So. so that was a great segue to talk about Sunday in the Park with George. So when I first watched this show, I really had no idea what was going on. <laughs> and it took me a few tries to fully to f <laughs> it did took you know me the did you know the painting i knew of it okay. but i didn't i truly i was just like especially when it got to act two i was like what is going on i was like what this is the most honest thing i've ever heard anyone say about a broadway show i'm <laughs> I just it was it was like it like I I was able my like tiny br like five-year-old brain was able to grasp the idea of cats and what was going on with that but my 10-year-old brain could or 11-year-old brain could not capture what was going on with Sunday in the park with George <laughs> and it took me it took me I think like five times of watching it where I was truly like I was like oh okay and now I can I can appreciate the artistry and I can appreciate so it just took me a little bit well it's so, a very adult show I mean yes. you gotta give yourself, I give yourself credit as an 11 year old you were trying to understand that's you know I mean well you're also talking to the 11 year old that was watching opera and like I was watching <laughs> Beverly Sills La Traviata wow. um, I was watching Aida at the Met I was watching Turandot uh Tur um yeah okay. That's a very sophisticated eleven-year-old. Yeah, um, that's why my my favorite joke that I always tell because my friend my friend Sam is always like he's always like I thought you were like thirty-three, not twenty-three, and I was <laughs> like, nope. I was like, I just like to say that I have the emotional trauma of a thirty-three-year-old. <laughs> um, but yeah. So anyway, and especially like I mean, going back now and looking at it. I like what's amazing because I actually just rewatched it like a few days uh -huh. ago for preparation. And I just look at it and like the costumes, especially, are just so stunning. They look like they came out of the painting, like they look painted, which is just incredible. They were, they're painted and layered. There's lots of, there's lots of underpainting, there's lots of layering application. Uh, mm -hmm. use of lace, use of textures to begin to get that feeling. And then sometimes the painting's under, sometimes the painting's over. Uh, a man named Martin Escherto was incredibly important in that process of being able to visualize and work through the process. Barbara Mitchell made the clothing uh, for the Broadway production. And it was a real process back and forth of at what point in time um, the uh, painting was used as a treatment and then were layers put over it or layers under it. It was very different for each fabric and texture. Um, and that's really what was able to lead to, I think, looking at them initially. And the, the way the script is really, too, is you're um, accepting them and understanding them and meeting them as people. And then it's only at that culmination 
of the music and of the visuals at the end of Act One that you've made the painting. And so the process was very much like that of knowing that you're going to make the painting, but also making sure that we're walking a line where when you see someone, uh, when you see the Celestes uh, standing there, you're able to see them as a human being. As a little girl is going fishing, he was irritated with a friend <laughs> rather, um, rather than just, oh, so, it, it, so it, I think it's a fine line. And, and of course it was, thoroughly enhanced and amplified by the beautiful lighting of Richard Nelson and how he magically kind of culminated all that at the end of the first act. To, to I, end. Yeah. So, so I think it's a great example of like a group of artists who did really uh, know you're, you're walking towards visually and you want to be walking along with all of your viewers, knowing that there's this kind of, amazing surprise both listening wise and visually at the end of the first act i mean i just i consider that show just a, the original broadway production just to be an artistic triumph and it's still i mean both from a writing standpoint and a design standpoint um it still boggles my mind that you guys didn't win any design awards um, oh, no, Richard won the Tony. Oh wait, for, yes, you did. You won for lighting, and yeah. did you win and for set? I believe Tony won. I believe Tony Strangers won for the set. I believe I'm okay. correct. Uh, Theoni won that lead year for Lacage. Yeah, but I just remember, like, I remember just being and like going back now, like I was just amazed by it. And so I want to talk about like two specific costumes, both Bernadette Peters costumes. Um, the, so the first Bernadette dress, the one where she comes out, she sings the title number, and it opens, and it then it closes with her. Was that you? I know you had to work with a because I was listening to the commentary. I know you had to work with a mechanic to create that dress, so that no, we could. I didn't work with. We didn't work with a mechanic. We worked with a man uh, who had a company called Theater Magic. Oh, okay. Like in Ohio, someplace I believe, um, and Barbara Matera had found him for us because what Barbara knew was she wanted a wire frame that made the frame of the you know she could envision how we could do this if if it was a wire frame and so uh, Richard Huggins was his name I believe um, and he came to New York and God bless him. He was willing to live through all of the trying to figure it out. Uh, 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 and the, the fact that it was a bustled dress was extremely helpful because you had the kind of the metal framework of a bustle that you could amplify in your brain of how it would work. And, um, and it actually, Tony set was on a rake. And mm -hmm. so oh. Bernadette had to actually come to the same given place on that rake as much as she could because it would change even if she were slightly off, it would be different. So he put on, the, they had four legs that extended down and they had almost like moonwalker feet on them so that they could level themselves on that mm -hmm. floor. And 
So it had a, it, by a process of those came down, there was, it was all operated off of at the time a garage door opener that, that they had up in the lighting booth and they would push it and Bernadette got into place. They pushed it. The legs went down and then it would begin the process of oh, the center front open. Mm-hmm. It was on the sides and she could walk out. Um, it was, you know, it was, I mean, it was probably, it was almost 40 years ago, right? 1984, 83, we're trying mm-hmm. to do it. And so it, it, it was very difficult to make it work. Richard worked really hard on it. I can remember during previews, like sitting in the back of the theater uh, the, in the booth, you know, there's those, there's a big set of doors that open in the back, and I'd be like crouched down at the back, praying that the dress would work and it would open. And it's because sometimes it didn't open, and then you know, Bernadette was stuck inside, and she had like there was a magic thing she could do and kind of expel oh, yeah. from it. And then, uh, and then I remember during previews one time it closed. She was out and doing the dance around in her underwear. <laughs> and it goes by itself out of no no reason we never knew why and so she just had to grab it and cart it off stage with her <laughs> left i mean it was so many uh figures out and redos and reworkings to try to get it to work i mean nowadays it would be computerized so it would be very easy to figure out but it wasn't at the time well, yeah, that's the other thing. Like with sending the part with George's in a like in general nowadays, they're so doing. They're always using like projections and stuff like that. And I'm like, that's cool, and it's very inventive sometimes, but it doesn't come across as like a painting anymore. Um, which again, I think is a testament to all the designers and stuff. Is that it felt like a paint? I was looking at a painting. Well, I think um, a lot of that a lot of that came from uh, uh, James and Steve had spent a lot of time going and seeing the painting in Chicago, and mm-hmm. they really had in the script is the whole relationship and the making a life for every single one of those people, uh, and so then it became the challenge of this is this person there they are you can see what they look like you now know their life. This is what they look like. But how much are you not seeing there? I mean, I remember uh, the boatman uh, that Bill Perry played originally. William Perry played it. And, uh, and I, he's sideways in that painting, you know, smoking his pipe, laying mm-hmm. on the ground. And I was like, well, yes, but what's happening to his other eye? Maybe he's only got one eye. And so I put this <laughs> eye in the sketch. And the next thing I knew, Steve had written the song, One Eye, No Illusion, that you get with two. <laughs> you know, um, so it was a, a marvelous process of having this, well, world famous, but also immensely fertile piece of art to actually begin from for every person involved. And I think that that was part of the secret of how it's still received by people. And, and, the, and, the, and part of the secret of the painting itself, right, is the, is the illusion you have from a distance and then you get closer to it and you realize the meticulousness with which he's understood dot by dot. Mm-hmm. And then you think about 
technology today and how the screen I'm looking at you on is that's exactly what it's made up of, right? And in 1870, he was painting that. How did he, what did he understand or know? Oh my God, wait. Oh my God. That's incredible. Oh my God. Wait. <laughs> yeah. What? Oh my God. That I, George, what was George Seurat prognosticating about the actual way vision works? The actual way, I mean, and of course the Impressionists were doing that, right? The group of people he was, they were, they were, they were philosophizing and they were, they were, they were struggling with this of what is something detailed and then what is it from a distance and, and, but frankly, that's what we go in, on into with op art, pop art, and mm -hmm. finding the real screen technology, right? Pretty amazing. So my second Sunday in the Park with George dress question also is Bernadette's. It's, that's a specific moment where she reveals to George that she is pregnant and she flips the bustle around to be the baby bump. How did that come about? Like, whose idea was that? It was in the script. It was in the script. Oh. It was in the script original. It, oh, in, in the script. Yeah, it, was that... it was James's thought. I mean, he envisioned that process. It was in script. Oh, so, well, so then it was a process of just figuring out what was the shape because a baby bump is not necessarily the shape <laughs> of a puzzle. So what could you make as a shape that amalgamated both of those looked like a bustle until you turned it around and then it actually looked like the, the shape of a pregnancy. So mm -hmm. it was, that was an experiment of just figuring out how that worked. But it was actually a conceptualization that James had. I mean, he had in that script, uh, there is a clarity of an artist's understanding. I mean, he, he was trained as a graphic artist and a photographer. And, and there's an understanding of the eye of an artist that comes about in the script, I think. Um, now, as I look at it years later and having known him all these years, um, uh, that that's makes part of the magic of that script, too. Mm -hmm. So after your next collaboration with Sondheim was, and James was Into the Woods. Um, I only have... Well, actually not. My next it? collaboration with them was Merrily We Roll Along, which we did out at La Jolla Playhouse in the summer. Uh, we do, we do... Sunday opens in April of 1984. And then that summer... We all troop out to La Jolla Playhouse to do a another yet go at uh, Merrily We Roll Along. Um, and it was only the second season that La Jolla Playhouse had been in existence. It At that point in time, all their administration offices were in uh, trailers out back of the uh, a back of the what was at that point in time really a theater that was in their one of their college uh, it was a college theater that they mm -hmm. you know began as and so we all we trooped out there uh to to do that 
So that was the next. And then after that, in 1986, we went to do Into the Woods, the initial production out at in San Diego mm-hmm. at the followed by in then 86 into 87 doing it on Broadway opening I believe in the early November 1987 I think that's correct mm-hmm. so I gotta ask this uh, <laughs> whose idea was the wolf appendage Steve's <laughs> that makes sense that makes a lot of sense yeah, yeah. um because I just because it was I think it was either blurred or chopped off for the PBS one. <laughs> you know, I don't know. You know, that's an interesting question. Did we, did they take it off? I think they probably just blurred it out because it would have, we would have been in production. They film it, you know, it's not filmed. They film it on a series of days. They film mm-hmm. it during the day, put the segments together and then they do film it. I think maybe one or twice, once or twice with an audience also. You know, and then put the segments together. Mm-hmm. So I think that they just uh, blurred it out. Okay, because <laughs> I it was because I remember everyone we were talking about this, and I remember they were talking about like the people, kids were talking about like the wolf penis, and I was like, "What are you talking about?" I was like, "What?" I was because I was Steve was Steve was pretty. You know, he wanted that wolf to be well, and it's understand it's understandable. I mean. It, it, there's a whole opening of sexuality to mm-hmm. her that the wolf, you know, hello, little girl. Uh, uh, it's uh, that was where he 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 saw it, and uh, and so then um, uh, it was a it was a real back and forth of how how visible that should be. <laughs> we would paint it down. We would paint it, and then it would be not show not enough. I mean, back and forth, back and forth, back. <laughs> All through preview time, it was uh, continually like uh, what was what we were doing, and we'd lay out the costume down in the the you know the little costume shop downstairs, the wardrobe area, and try to figure out that day what whether we were putting more hair on it or we were taking <laughs> it. It went on and on and on. Um, so there's so many stories of of, of how that that worked and just the process of, of, of getting it to so that it was there and visible, but it wasn't incredibly noticeable, I guess I'd say. Mm-hmm. And then my other question is how did you, when you got new witches, cause you had like four or five on Broadway, did the costumes change at all or adjust for them? No, it did. Um, uh, so, uh, you know, well, there's a whole set of clothing that was actually initially designed when Betty Buckley was going to be the witch. And then when Betty was no longer with the project, then I designed it all for Bernadette. And of course I knew Bernadette very well from Sunday. So uh, that was wonderful, fun to do. And then when Bernadette left, Felicia Rashad came in and I did redesign it for Felicia. Uh, so her costume was uh, based on on Bernadette's the ideas, but mm-hmm. it was a, philosoph- a philosophy for her, uh, for Felicia, and um, and then uh, I think I did some difference in the design when 
I believe Nancy Tussaud did it. I believe I'm right. We did some things for that. And then Cleo Lang did the initial tour. And I did do some things for Cleo. You know, Cleo was kind of based on on Betty's, but uh, I mean, on on Bernadette's. But but Cleo had some thoughts and ideas uh, uh, about, you know, how she was going to work in it. And so we went back and and did that. And I would say almost always you do do that with a leading lady. Um, You want them to be able to talk to you about their own mm-hmm. vision and how they will they see the role how they see themselves comfortably in the role because i noticed that like my because it goes to back to me with like costume design because i always especially when because bernadette and felicia are obviously two different races and they have two very different looks and styles and so you can't just give them like recreate the costumes for felicia and be like okay it's gonna work because it's not <laughs> well, I mean, um for me, one of the first things I do when I know that there's going to be a new leading lady coming in um, is to speak to them about what they uh, what they want. I certainly did it with the revival of Color Purple. Uh, I did it as different people went into that role, into the sugar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because uh, so going back to the so you were, we were talking about the color purple, and I know I saw it with Jennifer Holiday, mm-hmm. and I know one of the main differences was that sleeves were added to everything, which I felt actually fit the character better because in my eye, Suge is supposed to be an older woman already, and it also adds to the whole like it adds like just like this whole thing where like it's almost like she's not comfortable with her age anymore and it adds to it and she's not i don't know i might just be reading too much into it but when i saw jennifer it was just holiday it was just she was incredible in the role and i loved the costumes just again even though like she had a very different body type from heather and from jennifer the costumes still looked incredible on her well, thank you. Yeah, but that's the the idea. I, I think that's you want you want to facilitate a, a reexamination of the character for each actress that that works for them. That you so that you as a designer are helping them. That's mm-hmm. that's a good design, right? That's what we want to be able to do. Yeah, it was. Ju- yeah, those. I mean, those shook costumes overall were just like incredible especially my favorite one was the um the one the violet lavender number that she wears during the color purple it's just it's beautiful thank you you're welcome yeah that was incredible work that was incredible work as well and then i mean another baby bump show where the baby bump was made out of something that's not 
typically a baby bomb. <laughs> yeah. But that, that was John, John Doyle. How, John knew how he wanted that to operate. Then it was just figuring out, you know, because it was in the apron and then figuring out the dynamic of what the fabric could be and how to utilize it. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, with all of the work with John that I've done, so much of it is about uh, coming to those conclusions or, or coming to what you want to try before you get into the rehearsal room. So you have all of that available uh, so that you can actually work with it in a responsive way. So you, the timing becomes incredibly significant in you're not figuring that out. You'll have it right from the beginning the actress working with it with the director in that room so that by the time you get to tech and to previews, it's second nature already. Mm -hmm. So um, now I want to move on to your most iconic show, which was Beauty and the Beast. Uh -huh. um, and I know that this one of my, you did, you did, like you said before, you love research and you did a lot of research. Um, a favorite quote of mine from a short interview I saw of you on headline news was, for a girl who doesn't cook, it was a lot of research. And I don't know why, I just found that quote so funny. <laughs> I don't understand. That must be out of context. I, I don't Probably. know. What well, because they were talking about the utensils and stuff and designing oh. the utensils. That may be okay. That makes sense. I, yeah, I was gonna say that doesn't make sense <laughs> because, like, that's what I do is research. So, yeah, I don't cook. So, so it was a lot of research of cooking stuff because I'm not mm -hmm. particularly a cooking person. So, it was a huge amount of research of what what's in a, what's in the kitchen, what what are what what makes dinner, etc. At, at that time period, especially. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And then what could be utilized in, within relationship to the human form, etc. And then, so I want to, so when you were, this is obviously, it was, it was Disney's first ever, like, like, foray into theater. Um, where, like, and when you were designing this, like, where, where did you, like, start? Because there's obviously, like, there's hundreds of costumes. Yeah, or dozens. Like, where did you start? Like, what was the first, what was the first thing you designed? Well, um, that was an interesting process because I was out in Santa Fe doing an opera. I was out there doing Don Giovanni. And I got a call from my agent saying that Disney was trying to, a producer from Disney was trying to get a hold of me that they were thinking about doing a, a Broadway show, uh, the possibility, Michael Eisner was wondering about it. And they had a, a director that had been working out in the parks there, Rob Roth, and a choreographer, Matt West, that had been working out in the parks, and a scenic designer, Stan Meyer, who had also been named all, uh, uh, Stan and Rob knew each other from Rutgers. They'd both gone to Rutgers. And they'd gone out to work in the parks, doing shows in the park, but they both really were very uh, knowledgeable about Broadway. They'd spent a lot of time learning and conceptualizing about what Broadway was, etc. And after the success of Beauty, Michael had said, well, you know, if you want to put this together and think about doing it on Broadway uh, and see what that would be. And so they asked, they, they had seen Into the Woods. 
and they asked if I would be interested in designing it. So I flew from Santa Fe over to LA on one of my days off and met with these guys out at the park. And they were just very interesting people. They were fun and they were super excited about the idea of doing conceptualizing this. And they, I could see from the work that they'd already done, they had already storyboarded the whole thing. They were hard workers. Um, and and I, I thought, um, well, this is an interesting opportunity because this is the first time we've seen a corporate producer come into the Broadway world. And I've, you know, I left from there and I thought, I think it's going to become important that people who are part of the Broadway world understand what the corporate world coming into our world means and how they will operate. And so those were some of the things that, you know, were my considerations in determining that I would go ahead and work with them. Um, and so the, the first part of that process that was then that Eisner really needed to be, he needed to see a visualization of how it would work. So uh, Matt and Stan and Rob all came back to New York and they spent uh, several weeks. We worked every day for like several weeks conceptualizing, like what's a teapot on a person? What, you know, what, what, what would a, uh, Oh, it's a candlestick, etc. And the script that they came with initially was for me in visualizing. I couldn't imagine um, like how the man, it, it, like if the people, if the characters were already the objects, you lost part of the dramatic nature of the script that we needed to be carried away in the process. We as audience members needed to understand, oh my goodness, look, they're more and more becoming a candlestick. They're more and mm -hmm. more. So that it became a, in the dramatic movement of peace, we were carried along in the flow of the river of it happening to them rather than it was a fait accompli. Um, and so... They went back to uh, uh, to uh, talk about how to do script changes, etc., uh, in, in relationship to that, and and then the script became more about their objects are in the process. They're in the process of turning into the object. Mrs. Potts, who clearly was cook, she's in the process of turning into the teapot, um, so that we can see parts of her that are still human. And parts of her that are the teapot. Mm -hmm. And so I did a set of sketches of, I think basically it was the those objects, the, the, the principal objects, and went with them to, and this was very interesting. They flew me out to, uh, oh my gosh, what's the, in Colorado, what's the big ski area? Uh, oh. I, can't think of the name like it's around boulder i, I don't even yeah. remember <laughs> the colorado <laughs> ski area <laughs> yeah one of, and, and um and we flew in i flew in everybody else flew in from the west coast and i was really used to doing broadway shows where you presented all the designs for the producer for the 
uh, you know, you went to a meeting and you presented it and it mm-hmm. was a constant working process with these people. And so I got there, they put me in this hotel and they were like, well, come down to the conference room tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. And I go down there and like for three days, they in the conference room had me go routine through how I would present this like a pitch for a movie, like a movie pitch. I had never done anything like that in the theater. And I was really thought, I don't get this. This seems like (laughs) so weird to me. I don't know why we have to put on this dog and pony show, you know? And so, but I'm like, okay, I'll go along with it. But it was really unusual for me. Mm -hmm. And I find it, I, I found it, uh, what I thought at the time was like, oh, this is a very strange way to go about this, and 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 that everybody else is you know getting ready to pitch their parts of it. Stan Meyer, they had a little kid that was there in like a chip head behind a table that they'd hired this kid in this prosthetic head to like show how chip would be, and and uh, and. So it comes to the day of the meeting, right? And and I still am just like, oh my gosh, how many more times am I going to have to go over this? <laughs> and so uh, Michael Eisner, Jeffrey Katzenberg, and Frank Wells was uh, alive at that time. And they come and with about maybe four other guys, and they all had homes in that area. They were there for their summer vacation time. Aspen, Aspen is the name of the place, sorry. Um, I, thought and- that, I thought it was in Switzerland, but... No, Aspen, Colorado. Uh, and so they uh, they come and we do this pitch and they ask us to leave the room for a few minutes and we're outside in the hallway for like maybe 15 minutes and they come out the door and they're all checking their watches and like getting getting ready to get on private planes and stuff and they go, congratulations, great, that's great, we're going to do it. And so what I learned there in a fascinating way was that by doing it that way, they had consolidated and had all the money to go ahead and do this Broadway show. Whereas otherwise you can, you know, work for show on shows for years and years and years while the producers try to get all the money together. And, you know, I have drawers full of designs for ones that never happen. So it was a very different process but it was a process that within how a corporation works then allowed for the freedom of going out and doing the work because you had the finances in mm-hmm. place. So, and that was the first time of really being able to see how all that worked with a corporation. Um, so how long did it take you to design all of those costumes? Well, I mean, we do that first part and then we go back to get the approval. And then it's so like, I think it's like, um, it's kind of a nine months year process, you know, the process of, first of all, we do a, we're doing the design work, but we're also, they give us the finances to really technically try out a lot of things like a, a back for the beast that was all undulating and moving just a lot of stuff, a face clock that moved around on so many things that the norm wouldn't be that you had the finances to do prototyping and the time frame for people to be able to do it, the financial time frame. 
So I think it was about a year, the design process. Mm-hmm. What, was, what would you say was the most challenging character to adapt for you? I, I, you know, it's honestly so long ago. I, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't re- I, it was all a really challenging process because people, I mean, you'd had John Napier who really had, I would say that John Napier had in Starlight Express, he'd really started to use this idea that pieces could be vacuumed and that our mind could go into this place of a person being a, a train car, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, being these different things. And, and so a, a lot of it was about um, uh, opening up your brain to like, okay, she's going to be a teapot. Here's the shape of a teapot. Here's the shape of Beth Fowler. How do I start to put them together? Like, where does my personal brain go in that process? Um, I think a lot of it of how I discovered it had to do initially with, I, I have a lot of training in, the, in graphic arts. And so the melding of those things kind of just does happen in my brain. I can do that. Like I can start to see how a person would turn into a chair, et cetera. It just happens in my brain. Um, and so it was a process of really seeing technically what I, what visually what I wanted to do, talking to people about technically how we would do it, and then trying to actually create it. And in the process of doing that, you find out a hundred million other technical things you never thought of. And, and it, frankly, when you do those kind of costumes, the first thing you realize is that every time you do it, the very first one is way heavier than you want it to be. It doesn't work as successfully as you want. I mean, it's like a, a launching a rocket, right? The first rockets are not where you want to go and you learn from every one. And technically you're able to smooth out the process to make it easier as time goes by. Mm-hmm. So this was, obviously it was a long running show. It ran for, I want to say a l- over 10 years. I know. Like, years. Um, and so how often did you, did you go back at all to make sure that and be like, Oh, my designs are still as they are. Oh, you, or you have, you have your wardrobe supervisor, which I mean, when you really, when you're choosing a wardrobe supervisor for a Broadway show, you you choose someone whose priorities and aesthetics, their eye and the quality of maintenance, that they really are you representing you and that they will call you at any time to something comes in that, you know, Mrs. Potts, they brought a new Mrs. Potts in, Nancy Schaefer's on the phone with me saying, hey, Annie, they painted it in an entirely different way than I've ever seen it before. I'm sending you pictures, but can you also come and look at it? It's a back and forth process. Mm-hmm. And you go and check on the show, your assistants check on the show. Of course, the director has his associates and himself who are also checking on it intermittently when new cast members are coming in and out. So there's a whole check process that goes on. Company manager, the general managers are in and out so that there's a process of making sure things that the quality of things is kept up. Um, so when look, I was, I was before our interview, I looked at the book, uh, beauty and the beast, a celebration of the Broadway musical by, Oh God, what was Ron something? It was Ron. Mm, 
Ron something. I don't remember the last name. Um, another thing when you were discussing the beast and how you created that costume, you said you looked at pictures slash drawings of werewolves and beasts of the time period. And you also included rock musicians. Why yeah, rock musicians? Well, that was one of the things that Rob Roth brought up. The director brought up rock musicians. And and also, uh, I, I actually, as part of that process, I went out and spent um, a number of days with the animators who did the original uh, uh, did the original drawings and visited with each one about how they created the different characters, you know, really got into what their process was, how they went about uh, envisioning and drawing uh, their part of it, and then put all of those pieces together. Um, my other question is for Beauty and the Beast is, did you ever feel guilty or bad for the actors with some of the designs you gave them? Uh, well, I mean, I think, I think I answered this partly yeah. in saying um, when, when, when you're, well, number one, I think I'd, I'd love to say how unbelievable this group of, that initial group of actors was in allowing me um, to experiment and work with them and try to make things work better for them. Uh, and and the, the patience and uh, the camaraderie they brought forth to that process. Um, and, and certainly over time, there were remakes, make things better. I mean, it, it's, it's a, anyone, I think, an engineer, uh, anyone in, in, in that kind of a creative process, a scientist will tell you that there are everything is an experiment along the way, culminating, you hope, in what will get to be the most expedient process. And that's the same truth of these matters. Uh, when, we're, when we're making a costume that's like no other that's ever been made before, along the process, each time you're going to be able, and somebody's then now somebody's going to have worn it for a year and a half or, and they can say, Hey, you know, gee, you know, those tubes that run down my arm, couldn't they run on the outside of my arm instead of on the inside of my arm? Cause when I put my arm up, I bend it every time they run into my arm and you go, Oh my gosh, of course they could. Um, and so you, you have that process as you go on. I mean, I, 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 I don't think I felt badly for them. Uh, I I felt like we were all making something that was a a very strange thing. We were trying to make objects that are actually part of being an object is that you are immovable. You know, you are a stapler. But then if we want to make a person into this, Maybe we're going to have, we see a person that's bent in half at their waist, right? And then we're going to mm -hmm. have this section and that section on them. Well, the first one we make is probably going to be heavier and harder to wear than the 10th one we make. Um, so I, I, I guess that would be my best answer. No, that. that makes I sense. No. To, I certainly tried to to the best of my ability at the time, I tried to make it as easy and as comfortable to wear as was possible. Mm -hmm. And of course, 
you also now are talking about 1994. We're talking about almost 30 years ago, am I right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. In, in, in flexibility of fabrics and construction. Mm-hmm. I mean, we just didn't have the same products available that you do nowadays. And for nowadays, because you recently revisited the project, because you did redesigns for the recent UK tour, and it's now in Australia. Um, what was that like revisiting the project? Well, um, I think that the, the, actually the hardest thing about revisiting the project, it, it was the fact that it was during the pandemic. Um, and so uh, it brought an entirely different... Um, ambiance to trying to do something and it was indeed the first thing that opened i believe after uh, things were allowed to reopen it was about the first new thing that did open in the uk Mm. and so the process of um almost the full first year of it was me in an isolated room with a couple assistants um, in rooms full of just fabric samples that were gleaned for us in masks, trying to talk over Zoom to the people in the UK. And they were in masks too, because we had to be in masks because we actually were in a room with other people. So we're on Zoom in masks, trying to talk about how to make things. And of course, um, one of the interesting things that happened that I don't know that a lot of people are aware of is that in that process, as more and more people were doing Zoom, more and more people were, uh, then the quality of the Zoom became not nearly as good for a while. Uh, And so you were trying to look at things on a wall in a muslin, on a screen, in a mask, talking to people in masks, with each of whom have foreign accents to each other, on a screen over 3,000 miles, over Mm -hmm. and over. Um, And every one of those people was trying to work in their own home studios, many of them with far smaller labor pools because they couldn't be around other people. Um, uh, and then even when we opened up and were able to have fittings initially, you couldn't have more than six people in a room. We were, they actually like the, had to get out of their clothes in one room. The clothes were all kept in a contained basket. And I mean, just so many things that uh, we had never dealt with uh, of how to put a show mm-hmm. together. Um, even when, when, and, and then at that point in time, anytime a, uh, someone in a, in, in an area of employment, like if you had a shop, so costume shops, anytime that a employee became sick for 10 days, you had to close the entire business. So we had costume shops, embroidery shops shoemakers all of which got closed down time after time because one employee would get sick and everybody the containment for the good of all it needed Mm -hmm. um so uh the process and 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 most certainly 
in all areas, people were trying with due diligence and the greatest they could to keep mm-hmm. maintaining, uh, uh, keep going um, courageously, courageously on the part of all the shops, of, of the makers there, of the, of the wardrobe supervisor there, of the associates, assistants, of all of the Disney people, uh, of, of Tom Schumacher keeping it going in a time that was so hard. I, I think um, as I look back on the process of the redesign, it's more about uh, the capability of human beings to continue to try to get things done that it comes to mind than, mm-hmm. than even the process of redesign. I mean, that uh, the Frankly, in the whole redesign process, I've, I've drawn the show. It's in line drawing form when, when we're told we can no longer go out in New York. And so I run down to my studio it, in Midtown at the Paramount Building, grab all the sketches and bring them home. And I paint those sketches the first two months of really you know, sitting in my home studio uh, watching on TV as 2,500 New Yorkers a day died of what we didn't know what was happening. And we were quarantined in our homes and couldn't go out. So a, a lot of what I think about that redesign process has more to do with the idea of us, what really did happen to people trying to do the work. Um, and I think it's important to talk about it uh, because if we don't talk about it, people won't recognize what a whole group of people continue to do to try to get the process moving again, to try to get us back in theaters. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of bravery, I think, that went on amongst people to try to keep the torch in the air of theater. Yeah, I. it was like, a try it was obviously a trying time but the people who were there were people who were effortless who were not who were tirelessly working to be like okay can we do it this way can we do it that way can we try it like absolutely absolutely it's tremendous um if you have a couple more questions i just have two more for you just have two more questions for you um, so, the, and they are my final questions that I ask everyone. Um, first and foremost, where can the people find you online? I know you're not really social media, but I believe you have a website, right? I do have a website and I, 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 I guess I'm not, I tweet once in a while. Um, I, I, I just, I don't find it particularly helpful in the process of uh, mm-hmm. uh, I do, but I don't find it not helpful. And I certainly, don't, I, I really love looking at other people's beautiful things. I think I'm kind of a shy person and, you know, I, my drawings go out. I don't, you know, that's. Um, is there anything you want to um, plug or like mention uh this episode will air april 14th like so do you have any upcoming projects that you can well yeah i well like i said uh, we spoke about love all i'm uh, at la jolla playhouse uh, 
new, new really amazing, wonderful, exciting project about Billie Jean King. And, and, and frankly, I, I think a pivotal uh, time in sports relationships, in, in what happened to women in sports and women in general, of being able to make a capable and, and productive living alongside men in our world. Um, and, uh, and then I'm doing a, a new uh, musical uh, called The Twelve with John Doyle um, that will do the out of town at the good speed. And I'm doing um, a, a new, uh, a, it's an old, an old show, uh, uh, but with a Trip Coleman uh, directing um, uh, of uh, uh, you, I can get it for you wholesale the musical, uh, and uh, and and it wonderfully enough, of course it's. Uh, John Weidman is re-looking at his, examining his dad's old play and, and books to do it, which is a marvelous thing. And I, I've enjoyed so many experiences with John, uh, with Steve's work, with uh -huh. uh, the many shows I've done with John Doyle, that uh, you know, Roadshow and uh, Pacific, just so many things that... Um, mm -hmm that John wrote. So I, I'm really looking forward to that process and, and hear what he has to say about what it is to experience your father through his own, looking at his own writing and redo, you know, thinking about doing this production of it. Um, and, and then, as you said, uh, uh, beauty it is, it will go into rehearsal this about, about in April, May, actually to open in Australia, that company. Mm -hmm. Uh, which is very exciting for them to see all the the new conceptualization, which is a, it's a really beautiful production. Oh, have you done redesigns since the UK tour? No, it's the same oh. production. Okay. The same production went from uh, it finished the the tour in I, I think they finished up in Ireland and then it mm -hmm. got on a boat and it is now they're ready to. Well, actually, the clothes got on a plane and the set got on a boat and they're now ready to be in Australia, make new friends in Australia. And then my final question for you is, is there a lady you would love to have lunch with? They can be dead, they can be alive, they just can't be a fictional character. Eleanor Roosevelt. Why? That's interesting. I like to have lunch with Eleanor Roosevelt because Eleanor Roosevelt understood what the common man and the striving people of our country needed. And she understood it from a, an intellectual perspective and a woman's perspective and a humanitarian perspective. And I think we very much need the guidance of people like that right now. And mm -hmm. understanding, she understood the downtrodden. She also understood that part of the creative process and part of what makes us the exceptional group of people we are is that tremendous melding of people. And we need to understand that and be able to gain from it more. I'd love to talk with her over lunch about how our world exists today and what's the difference between what she thought it would be and where we are and what she would think about going forward. Mm -hmm. 
Thank you so much for joining me. This was such a lovely interview. It was so nice talking to you, you. getting to hear your stories. They're just incredible. All right. Thank you so much again. I love your background, Paul. It's Scooby-Doo. <laughs> I love I'm a little it's, scared of that house. It's like, Scooby-Doo. Like, it's a frame from a Scooby-Doo episode. <laughs> It was really nice to meet you. Thank you. It was you nice meeting you too. Great. All right. Be well. All right. I will see you all next week. Bye. Bye. So here's to the girls on the go. Everybody tries. Look into their eyes and you'll see what they know. Everybody does. A toast to that invincible bunch. The dinosaurs surviving the crunch Let's hear it for the lady